This is the Rockonomics Podcast, episode number 45, the last episode of 2018 before settling in for a long winter's nap. I'm your host, Dill, and today we welcome Ethan Thompson and Pete Nappy, who make up two-thirds of the band Ocean Park Standoff. Formed in 2016 along with world-known DJ Samantha Ronson, Ocean Park Standoff hit the ground running with the breakout single Good News and a 2017 summer tour supporting Third Eye Blind and the Silver Sun Pickups. Their latest single, If You Were Mine, reached number 15 on the Billboard Adult Pop Chart and is still all over the airwaves as we speak. I met up with Ethan and Pete just prior to their last show and before going home for the holidays, and our conversation goes a little something like this. your mindset going into Berkeley as a you know a teenager what was kind of your goals going into school and then kind of coming out of school yeah my goal coming out of or going to Berkeley was definitely just getting out of where I was I was in Montana uh not a lot of people knew about the industry or how to do music uh as far as a pop band Mm -hmm. where I was from and I went and did a week seminar with Berkeley in California and it was a bunch of songwriters and people who wanted to do pop music for a living and it changed my life because I was there for a week and I realized that there was a bunch of people with the same passion as me uh, that I wasn't getting doing classical training in Montana so I signed up for the school and just was doing it basically to surround myself with people who had the same mindset because I had never before since going to there before going to that camp I'd never been around that many people who had the same aspirations okay yeah so that's exactly the reason why I wanted to get out and that's that's Ethan mm-hmm. we'll, we'll separate the, oh hello we'll separate the voices <laughs> what about you Pete um I went because um I mean I've had already been doing music for so long mm-hmm. And I went just because I wanted to learn as much as human, humanly possible. I went for um, film scoring. Okay. And I thought that was more practical, like more realistic. Um, I minored in conducting. <laughs> as the train so, goes by. Perfect. Yeah. Train conducting. <laughs> yeah, train conducting. That was my major. Now, um, yeah, I just wanted, because I, like I said, trying to be uh, practical here, trying to actually make a living out of it rather than being in uh, every other Long Island rock band growing up. What was, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with that area. What was what was going on there when you grew up? Was it, was it Taking Back Sunday or what was like? The- yeah, Taking Back Sunday was like, uh, they were a little bit older than me, but that's who, what I grew up listening to. Um, yeah, it was just like a bunch of just like random bands, honestly, just, just random stuff. The, like Bayside was out there, just... Yeah, I don't know. Right. Just random, random bands. Did you have the support of your parents pursuing music? Yeah, absolutely. They yeah, not, they same. weren't musical, but I always wanted to do it, and they were. You know, I got lessons, piano lessons, drum lessons, uh, you know, everything. Okay. So. And then, so once you're at Berkeley, what what kind of changes or what evolves to you know once you're set to leave? And I think once you guys left, you went to L.A. Than you soon after, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. about six months after, yeah. So when you're when you're in Berkeley, what what kind of shifts you to kind of lead you to where you are now? Um, you start realizing that you've gotten as much education as you need in certain fields, and that it's time to go out into the world. And also, especially for what we left to do um, separately at the time, we didn't know each other, but we both left to go do something in songwriting and music, uh, and. 
we knew that we had to go out to LA in order to start doing that. We were ready to do it now and staying at school because we still have, both have a couple credits left and staying there to finish that up um, wasn't worth the time it would put us behind. We wanted to get out and start getting our hands dirty pretty much immediately. That's what my thought was. So right. I have two classes left. They're like, you should stay here and take them. And I was like, I need to get out of here. Same as when I left Montana. They were like, you need to focus on your classical studies. And I was like, I need to go somewhere else. Does that happen a lot at Berkeley? Do you guys know? I mean, I feel like that a lot of people are probably... <laughs> Not to diss them, but I feel like it's mm-hmm. everyone's probably in that. You know, everyone's probably gigging when they're in bands and stuff like that. And it's like, who's who's got time to wait around to get that last, mm-hmm. you know, couple of credits? The history and poetry credit that I needed <laughs> to graduate. <laughs> yeah. It happens, yeah, yeah, it happens. But there's people that graduate too and do and have done great. Uh, friends of ours, and then uh, there's other people who leave after a semester. Um, and also, it's very expensive to go there, so getting out quick is also great for the money book. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a mixed bag. But people are often uh, I feel feel I feel pressured to leave. I think so they can get out into the real world and start working. Because that's the thing that's crazy is it's based in Boston, which is a town that doesn't really have a place where you can start something uh, other than you know a couple different rock bands and some jazz things. But uh, so, so getting out somewhere where the where the music is where your heart is is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Was it a, was it tough to get to LA? I mean, just strictly, I, I put myself in your shoes, and I'm from upstate New York, and I can imagine being at that age and not having much money in my pocket and having to move to L.A. actually, find an apartment, get a car, live there, you know, move around there. Was that a, how big of an obstacle was that? Um, for me, all? it was mildly easy, because I got signed to publishing while I was at Berkeley, so I had a nice publishing check coming in, Nice. and I was able to pay my rent, so okay. I was a little bit of a different story. Were you familiar, was it hard to familiarize yourself with LA or were you familiar with, familiar with it by the time you got there? No, I had gone out there a couple times before, but n- nothing crazy. I think I went out there probably like three months, two months before I actually was going to move there. But I, I had always wanted to um, live on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Just growing up, I always wanted to come out to LA. But um, yeah, it wasn't I'm pretty content wherever I am, so it doesn't. As mm-hmm. long as I'm making music and doing what I want to do, I don't, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Do you see that too in, at Berkeley? That you know, people do end up getting, you know, they it's kind of accelerated before you even leave. You've got a publishing deal, or you have a record deal, or you have some sort of you know management or it's, something. It's person to person. Every everything's different. Yeah, it's like a shotgun spread of whether you're going to be in 200 G's worth of debt when you get out, or go straight into a publishing <laughs> deal. <laughs> um, yeah, we have a handful of friends that are all, you know, to nicely put it, mildly successful. Mm-hmm. And then we have a bunch of friends who are still just, you know, they're still trying to find their way. Right. So it's just like you said, it's person person. Okay. What was your, kind of your big breaks? I know you've, you've got a lot of songwriting credits. It sounded like once, you, like once you got out there, what got the ball rolling? Just the people that represented you were kind of matching you up yeah. with folks? Basically, uh, as time went on, I realized that everyone was working this amount of time and you had to do double the amount in order to even get recognized. So when I first moved out there, I was getting set up with people on this and that, whatever, and I was like, all right, and then a year goes on, you're like, mm, I've lived out here a year and I only have one cut, what's going on? And <laughs> everyone thinks they're going to move there and write the next Taylor Swift. Right. Smash, you know, so it's like, okay, now I got to really, you know, catch up to these people who are already making massive hits. So you got to just work double the amount of time. But 
that's kind of the realization that I had. Mm-hmm. Is there a lot of false starts? I think I'm, it might have been a quote from you that you, you know, you get out there and you think you have, you know, someone someone says they like your song, they want to do your song, they don't do your song. It's you know, ends up back in your. That's ninety percent of what we do. <laughs> yeah, as songwriter, yeah, songwriting and production, ninety percent of it is is hey, uh, a we don't like the song, uh, b we like the song, we want to cut it, and then c. We're, they never hit you back after you get that call. Luckily, as time goes on and we become more uh, established, if you will, mm-hmm. that percentage is getting lower. Yeah. But yeah. at first, definitely, it's just empty promises. Mm-hmm. Let's get a little into the... I'm really interested in the process. Like, I know you guys are, I think, one of the... Maybe it was a press release that, you know, when you first got together with Samantha, it was a musical play day, which mm-hmm. is something very common that you guys get... Could put together with yeah. somebody mm-hmm. is that usually a, a, you know a, a day date or do you get a week with somebody or like how does this how does how do different scenarios come to be it's different every time I mean usually you just basically do like max two days with someone new if you you know if it's just for pitching if it's for to write songs for other artists it's usually you just do one or two days and if you like the person then you book more days mm-hmm. if it goes well but um yeah, with artists, it's you could <coughs> do up to a week sometimes. But yeah, usually um, it's just a couple days. Okay. And then you just see if you like each other and move on with your life or write more songs. Is there that period where you got to be like, where are you from? Oh, yeah, I know a guy there, too. I mean, do you need, or do you have, I mean, it seems yeah. like it's oh, such yeah. a short period of time. Oh, yeah. But you basically have like a half hour to an hour to, to BS and ice break with everyone. And then it's like, all right, what do you want to work on? Uh, yeah. everyone's pretty much used to it the more you do it the more it's like alright let's see you know where you're from be, you know small talk and then alright let's get get down to the business mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and is it safe to it. assume you're you know depending who you're with I know you guys are kind of genreless and, and writing different styles so if you're matched with somebody you kind of know where they're coming from you kind of have your tracks that you think might interest them are you, is that, are you kind of just sharing ideas right off the bat and seeing what's clicking and just kind of catching yeah. vibes. You're just you're just seeing if you can because with each mixture of people, the type of music that comes out is different every time. There's there's uh, even if you have even if you had somebody specifically grounded in rock and that's all they want to do. Even if you mix them with someone else, it always changes the genre and changes the feel. So you're just finding somebody you have a vibe with that you like and you think can turn into something. Uh, I constantly. just stopped looking them up because at first I started looking them up and listening to their stuff. Usually that stuff's like three years old. They don't want to do the same right. stuff that's three years old. So I usually just, you know, get a feel of what they're, you know, what they are. And then I just see what they want to do. Because, mm-hmm. you know, there's no point in, like, listening to all their stuff yeah, yeah. and trying to make stuff that sounds like that. It's already three years old or two, you know, whatever yeah. it is. Might as well see what they want to do when they walk in. Now, how did, did you two hook up through uh, Kara? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. That's uh Diaguardi, mm-hmm. yes, right? yeah, yeah, and she—it's it's she's 20. an instructor, correct? Yeah, yeah, she was, she, yeah, she just does like a almost like a seminar class every other week there. Okay. But what's funny is you were we were talking about the Folgers thing earlier, and what's funny is she was the judge for that too. Yes, so she was the judge for that in two thousand nine or two thousand ten. I'm, I'm blanking on the year, and then we were in a class together in what 2013, 14? 2012. 2012. And then he got signed by her. When I moved out, we didn't know each other. We knew of each other, but hadn't worked together or anything like that. And when I moved out to LA, she linked me and Pete to do a session. We wrote a song we thought it was garbage, so then we became homies over the course of four or five months. And then it turns out that that song got us back in to do another song, which was our first big cut together. 
Um, was that Shinedown? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So was that a, did you guys re- collaborate with them on it, or did you write a song and then they, they recorded it? We wrote a song and then we collaborated on the bridge with them. Okay. So we this is, I think it was probably the only song that they ever actually cut from an outside thing. So yeah, we brought it to them and just, you know, we worked on the rest of it. How did that come to be? Like, how did, is there any backstory to that that they... Yeah, it was through BMI. So there's a gal... Samantha Cox. Yeah, Samantha Cox BMI is super good friends with... Uh, no, and at Atlantic. Like uh, Steve Rogers. She's super good friends with Stevie at, yeah, Steve-O at um, Atlantic. So Carlo, who's the other guy that we co-wrote the song over Pete's track. Uh, that's how the song came to be. And Carlo was homies with this gal at BMI. She showed him the song. She said, oh, Shinedown's looking. Sent it to Steve-O. He flipped out over it, showed it to um, Brent, the singer. And uh, one thing led to another, and then we were in a studio with him working on it. That's cool. Mm-hmm. And how many days was that? A I only did one with him. Somehow I got butted out of that. <laughs> uh, You're on record. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it is on record. It happened. Sure. Carlos, my brother. Are you doing? I'll yeah. do anything for him. But Anyway, we, yeah. we did a couple other songs, but that was the one song I went on. Okay. Yeah. Now, is there any... Uh, is there ever... The answer is there any conflict to like how much of the song now you're splitting publishing and you mm-hmm. said he did a bridge? Is there like oh, you did a bridge? Okay, that's a, that's a quarter. Like, is there standards or is there legal people that jump in to say if there's an artist, if there's an artist cutting it, we would literally if he said I'm taking 80 percent, you guys like us, we would have said cool because we didn't have anything at the time. Right. Nowadays, it's a little bit different because, like you said, we're getting more established and have a little bit more weight behind what we're doing. But <laughs> lawyers are your friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just spoke to somebody <laughs> recently that's, yeah, I spoke a lot about the lawyers. Um, it's if, nice to have a lawyer who's a tough guy. It's not not nice going against a lawyer who's a tough guy. <laughs> so that's that's all we got to say about that. <laughs> and and back to Kara, so she's with Art House Entertainment, is that her company? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, is she, when you said you got a, she's not doing publishing, is she representing you? Not me, publishers? No. Or, like, how does that work when you say you're or she took you guys in, or I'm sorry. If it was she she signed me to um, a pu- she. Uh, it's a publishing company, so she essentially how it worked is I have a JV with Universal, so I'm signed with Universal and Art House, and basically she just you know points me in the right direction, okay. um, sets me up in sessions. Uh, you know, pitches my songs to artists or, you know, whatever whatever needs to be done to get our songs out there and making money, essentially. Okay. So. Now, were you guys ever doing that yourselves, doing the, you know, kind of the, the pitching? I was going to ask, between, like, between an artist and an A&R person, like, you know, what's, how do those differ? Or, or is it just never that? If you're the artist, you're going to, you're going to your A&R saying, hey, here's, here's the music I want to do. They pick what they like out of that. If you're a songwriter producer, then you're also hitting up the A&R, and then they connect you to the artist to go, hey, here's a song that you could use, or I think you click well with this person. Um, Assuming that the artist writes their own music, yeah. mm-hmm. which sometimes you know, happens, sometimes doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hear some artists are, uh, yeah, they take the song and then change a couple words and say, it's mine. Yeah. Or, you know, oh, absolutely. Cut me half. Absolutely, yeah. but if they're doing, if they're going to do a good job with it, um, it's it's funny to see it. the opposite side of it. Doing, you know, when you when that happens to you and you wrote a song, they're like, all right, I want to take this amount of uh, percentage for writing one line. Like, all right, that sucks. Like, this is our livelihood. Like, we got to make money and live off of this. But now, being 
from the artist side, seeing all the work that goes into that, and you got to go out and play at 6 a.m. for all these other radio people and push the song and all these things. I have a little bit more sympathy sure. about it. <laughs> Gotta do these podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but pr- promotion is a huge, huge part that we weren't privy to before we signed our deal. Because mm-hmm. it was all, we were just always in the studio, always writing. That was it. Um, and it, gained, it made us gain a lot more respect for artists that we didn't like their music either who were also bursting. Because it's like, well, they got someone on their team or them is doing something right. Because it's, right. it's hard. It's a big, big grind to make something go. Um, did Berkeley prepare you guys like business wise, or like you guys are mentioning certain things you weren't aware of? You know, it's just kind of learning as you go. I'd say it's kind of more learning as you go because the, the the thing is is that they tried to set you up, but the business, especially right now, and I'm sure it always has been the same, but right now is constantly changing, mm-hmm. um, and it's not really something. It's since you, you you just seem to be ready to adapt to whatever's going on around you and to be smart with whatever moves you're making, mm-hmm. and, and that's about that's about it. What are some of the highlights, uh, some of the artists that you've worked with that you, you're more psyched to work with or, you know, kind of um, bucket listy? Well, I, I just liked working with 30 Seconds to Mars because I used to go to their shows when I was a kid and I was able to do a bunch of their record on this uh, last one that came out in March, I guess, but um, that was pretty cool. And that was that experience that kind of snowballed? You, you came in, you were good, you guys kept going with it? Or yeah. were you brought in to kind of you know, yeah. for the long haul for, you mm-hmm. know, from, the, from the top? No, it was more of like kind of an audition process. Stripes. And then, yeah, they liked what I was doing. I stayed there for six, seven months working on it. So. And that was back, were you out in L.A.? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was like two, three years ago. Okay. Yeah. Who would you like to collaborate with? What's Who's on your... Anderson Pack would be sick. Uh, Keilani would be sick. Uh, anything that we, wheelhouse. What do you got? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I was expecting Gilbert Godfrey to come out of your Yeah, mouth. Gilbert Godfrey <laughs> and his godson. They're both genius. <laughs> I don't know. Anyone who wants to make cool music on them. Yeah. So at what point does uh, kind of forming a band and getting out there and performing songs on your own you know, take shape or enter the mind? Uh, it kind of started because we were going and working with Samantha and we were, we were all stressed from all these sessions we're doing and, you know, you're always trying to, at the time, not now, but at the time we were always trying to fit into molds of what of what people needed and what people were searching for. And when we decided to get together with Samantha and we started talking about what we wanted to create, she said, let's just write things that we think are cool and let's not overthink any of it and just have fun and hang out. And uh, that's kind of how the whole thing birthed. And then when she suggested we become a band, we were like, yeah, 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 sure, let's, yeah, whatever. And then sure enough, like three or four months later, we haven't even uh, played a note together or anything like that. We were just going to put it online, and it somehow through friends of friends got handed to someone at Disney, and uh, they were interested in signing it. And uh, we just basically jumped at the opportunity to, to try something. We, we thought it would uh, help all of us out, and we also thought it would be a lot of fun. So that's what we've been doing. It seems like you guys are kind of part of this new business model where, you know, you, you didn't come out with an album, you came out with, a, I don't know if it was, a, I know you got an EP out mm-hmm. just this past year, but a couple of singles. Mm-hmm. Um, are you, is there an album planned? Are you going to go the route of, uh, you know, full LP or are you going to keep, you know, I know some artists I've talked to is like, the name of the game now is to kind of space it out and keep a, you know, keep a song out there. Keep every, a steady drip every, going. Yeah. 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 I think that's kind of what we want to do. We, we, we want to have two functions going on. We want to have, uh, 
we want to have a song that's going out if our label thinks it's big and they want to put money behind it we want them to do their all and we want to do whatever it takes to work that song and then we want to be putting out songs that we think are dope in the meantime uh, out online or in any various forms whether it's like a download button or whether it's on SoundCloud or something like that we, we want to be putting out music that we think's uh, a little bit more vibier and a little bit less pop at the same time as working the pop records mm-hmm. so that's basically what our goal of next year is, is how to figure out that dynamic between the two <laughs> have you guys currently have anything um, are you placing songs for movies or commercials or oh we wish yeah <laughs> not, not yet <laughs> no not yet we, we had a song in uh, that show God Friended Me or whatever yeah that's a big like, a couple weeks ago okay, Bold and Beautiful Bold and Beautiful that was, that was a good one <laughs> now, are you guys are you guys picky on that stuff would you do a, oh you know, no we just say like, take it yeah you know a, a pharmaceutical ad or a, you know exercise video and like, hey Check clears, you can have it. I'd say, and I don't mean to be crass that way. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some money grab. We're trying to get that Viagra. We're <laughs> <laughs> no, going all the way to the top. <laughs> the Viagra. It'll pay the bills. Yeah. No, I mean, they're, they're, if something came across the table that we were morally opposed to, I'm sure we would, uh, we, we would say no to it. But generally, I think since we're at. Uh, Disney, they're not going to throw anything across the table True. that's that's going to uh, offend us. Damage the goods. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah they they they're pretty smart with that type of stuff. So yeah, um, let's talk a little bit about uh, hitting the road. Mm-hmm. So was one of your first big tours the I don't forget what they call it but it was like Third Eye Blind and Silver Sun Pickups mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the Summer Gods tour the Summer Gods <laughs> that was an ongoing joke for about a year yeah the Summer Gods we were screaming that. All the time. <laughs> uh, that was one of our uh, first tours, yeah. We went on one right before that. Uh, that was kind of the first time we'd ever really played out live together for about a month and a half. And then that was our first big tour. We were on a bus. We had dogs with us. It was like a party 24-7. Silver Sun Pickups was, were basically... We, we, we just hung out. We got lunch the other day, and we described that as it was summer camp yeah. for two months. It was just hanging with your best friends every night, playing music, and then getting to listen to Third Eye Blind's hits all back-to-back. Right. Uh, every night and we befriended that whole band too uh, but yeah it was an absolute blast and it was so funny because we basically started at like this peak venture in a, in a bus playing in uh, amphitheaters all summer and now we're back to the, all of our tours are now in a van oh you're back to the van oh yeah oh yeah with a trailer um, and playing like uh, playing small venues but we're having a wonderful time but it, it was uh, it was it gave us goals right away because we hit that thing there's, there's two ways you can look at it mm-hmm the, you got a nice little bunk bed that's yours on a bus and it's nice and whatever you can that's your home base or when you're in a van you got a nice little TV you can play a little Xbox or whatever and you uh, can sleep in an actual king size bed and get a, and get a nice shower out. too okay. yeah get a shower so sometimes the showers in the back of venues are questionable yeah we yeah. Pre- we asked to get like one of those vans that have the bench seats instead of like a sprinter or whatever mm-hmm. so you can actually lay on it and like sleep and yeah you basically have four beds in the back essentially sleep is the most important thing on tour so it is uh what about laundry laundry is also important Mo- a lot of venues actually have uh laundry yeah, yeah that's interesting yeah, yeah it's funny laundry. somebody just there's a music journalist i started last week's show with it but um on twitter she's like i would do a whole article on laundry band laundry like do they you know, wear the same thing every night and just gets shitty or do they, you know, always <laughs> I think that's like, why, how do they do it? I think that's why a lot of people wear black because black is the easiest <laughs> to clean if anything gets on it because there's this gal that's like, I feel like you're always wearing black. I was like, yeah, when you're traveling, it's the best color to wear. 
Um, and also Pete's uh, method of traveling is to get a backpack and just fill it to the brim with t-shirts and underwear. As, I mean, and just yeah. throw them out as... Or... Yeah, because I, I usually just wear like a white t-shirt. So I just got like a ton of white t-shirts because I knew I would have them as backup. ton of clean socks and a ton of underwear. I threw it in another backpack and is the emergency stash. Now, are you guys at the <laughs> level where you can have a rider? Because I know in the riders there's a lot of socks and underwear. We have a rider. The question is when we get there, is it going to be there or not? There's always, there's always all the curveball. With all the good stuff. We <laughs> started asking for socks and then we were like, all right, this is kind of dumb. <laughs> yeah. who's, the, who's your muscle? Don't you have like a tour manager to like get get this shit done uh yeah we get we we actually had a great tour manager this tour but uh it's always hit and miss you know we're we're still uh climbing up so there's there's only so much we can fight for uh when we're going in but definitely our goal is to one day have boxers on all of our riders uh tequila and jameson and then just a bunch of sachi (laughs) everything yeah and a bunch of vegetables yeah (laughs) Versace and vegetables. Versace vegetables. I like it well. Yeah, that'll be our next uh, our next hit single. Well, um, being described as you know, you're kind of mixed genre, and even I mean, I guess what struck me like Third Eye Blind, Third Eye Blind is '90s. Mm-hmm. Silver Sun Pickups is kind of uh, early 2000s. You mm-hmm. guys are current, so it seems like a. I mean, it makes sense if you want to do a generational tour, um, and your hits on Billboard are on Adult Contemporary. Mm-hmm. I mean, you guys are young men. What what do you kind of what do you want to be? What if you had to be put into a genre or a you know a category? What would you prefer to be? I think the category I want to be in is the category where people are happy when they listen to our music. That's really all we're going for. There's not, when we're going and I want to be a rap god. <laughs> <laughs> when we're going in and doing these, uh, when we're going in and doing sessions, we're never thinking what genre. We're just like what feels good, what's fun. Now it's now we're going in. It's what's the mentality of what's going to feel good on stage and what's going to get people going and moving. Uh, and that's that's as far as we go. I think I think the way that Pete produces and the way that Samantha and I write it just lends itself to whatever OPS is because we've never been able to quite say it. it's you know it's a mix of pop, it's got a hip hop influence, it's got an alt influence, it's got a rock like especially the rock lyric influence. Um, so we, we kind of get all these spectrums, and I think like it, it just kind of leans whatever way the song takes mm-hmm. us in that moment. But we just want to play songs that make people feel connected and grounded in that moment, and that's that's like our goal. You brought up a point. About- <laughs> You know, translating it to live, is that ever difficult? It's always weird at first. It always feels weird the first couple of times you play it. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, I noticed, because I was going between your Conan show and uh, for your for your hit, If You Were Mine, right now, mm-hmm. and I noticed you're, you're uh, hitting the cymbals on the downbeats live, but not as much on the record. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there isn't really any live drums on the um, recording, but just in general, it's just... Everything in the recording is like meticulously planned out, every little beep and sound or whatever. And live, it's just you gotta have a little more fun with it because we have live instruments, uh, you know, yeah. full drum set, whatever. So, yeah, it's accentuating everything that's on the record. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just nothing's gonna be the same. I want everything to sound exactly like the record, just with us, yeah. you know, enhanced. But I gotta tell you, it translates great live. I mean, the energy and um, it's funny, I think Adam Levine of Maroon 5 was just criticized a couple weeks ago because he said something about, you know, what is rock now? You know, rock, rock's nowhere. But they played recently here, and I felt the same thing. They were, you know, when you brought in the acoustic instruments and, and live drums, like, they they rocked, mm-hmm. you know? And he can, you know, he can argue that, you know, they're, they're kind of, you know, mashing genres now. But 
Mm-hmm. <coughs> live, they rock. Yeah, they definitely are in their music. They're mashing genres. But when you hear them live, they they sound very much like the original Maroon Five that we all fell in love with. Right. We yeah. saw them. Well, actually, I think Ethan was sick, but I saw them at Wango Tango. I, I guess it was like a year and a half ago, whatever. But I mean, he came out and like ripped a solo in the middle of oh, one right. of the songs. <laughs> it's like, all right, well, yeah, I saw him at the forum. Yeah, yeah, so. Um, so Conan, or sorry, Conan, Conan, uh, Conan, Conan, <laughs> uh, did you do, um, Today Show? Yeah, we did. James Corden? Oh my gosh, dude, the Today Show is a brutal experience. Is that, I mean, what, what time do you show up there, like 7.30 in the morning? 4 a.m. Oh my gosh. And we had we, a red eye? We, yeah, we played a show the night before, got on a red eye and slept for like, what, two hours, went and did sound check at like 4 a.m. or something like, crazy like that. And went back. Slept for like an hour and a half or two. Yeah, I mean, I didn't sleep. I stayed there to make sure everything was good. That was sick, so and I was then, trying to get yeah. healthy. And then we played and then immediately left and almost missed our flight because I think we had a show that night somewhere else, oh, too. God. Yeah, and so. I was sick through the whole thing. It was wild. It's funny because when I go and watch that, I can see, like, the concentration and slight fear behind my eyes. And I remember when uh, Hoda and Kathleen came up to say, like, bye at the end of it, I was totally not there. I was just like, what? I need to get out Hoda of here. Hoda wasn't there. She wasn't? Oh, no, it was Bush's daughter? Is that who oh, yeah, was, was Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. See? Kathy there Lee. you go. Kathy Lee. Kathleen, I said. <laughs> yeah. Is that an enjoyable experience, though, doing, like, the late-night shows and, the, you know, just yeah, TV in general? Oh, yeah, it's really or, fun. I mean, I, I, I can understand why the morning shows yeah. are just so taxing, but... The late-night shows are actually always fun because they usually have really good lighting directors, so the light's always dead on, the sound, it's always smooth, it's always the easiest thing, they have everything locked in at those shows, so you literally go, and the sound checks usually like play the song twice, three times, and then you just go play it live, and it's it's fun, it's an experience every time. It's weird, like, knowing that, I don't know how many people watch each show, but just say millions of people have it on their TV, us playing our song that we wrote in Samantha's bedroom, but hey, it's fun. Um, I think we're close to running out of time. So I end each show with the same five questions, or just short, frivolous questions. Mm-hmm. So let's go there. I'm, this one's becoming sensitive. It, it was hypothetical if your house is on fire. And I, know oh, gotcha. in, I know if you're in California now, your house might be on fire. Well, everyone so. gets so offended about everything nowadays. Don't, don't, don't worry. Mean, I don't we, mean to be rude. Don't worry. Hypothetically, you know, loved ones and pets are safe. Mm-hmm. What would you go back in and save that's music-oriented or, like, memento-oriented? Laptops and hard drives. Yeah, I feel like everyone would say that. Yeah. Everything else can burn. We shouldn't say laptops and hard drives, though. Do you have anything? Do you have a memento or anything? Yeah, like something. A drumstick from Ringo? Our gold records. (laughs) No, we can buy those again. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, I would definitely say laptops and hard drives. There's nothing that can't really be replaced other than, well, I guess our passports. Got his replaced the other day. In one day, there's probably yeah. nothing really, other yeah, than our hard drives that we need. Yeah. That's the thing is everything. Everything else, material doesn't really. It doesn't matter. It's fr- it's frivolous, and those things, those are creations that we spent hours and hours working on, and to recreate those, mm-hmm. it's never the same as that first magical thing you get. So if you, we got those little magical moments saved on these little hard drives and computers, and you just gotta go grab them. There's an earthquake that hit in L.A. when like the first year and a half I was there. And I literally remember, still this day, I was sleeping on my floor because a friend was sleeping on my bed. Woke up in my boxers, grabbed my laptop, started, I was yelling his name the whole time, and then right when I got to the door, it stopped. But the, for my first reaction was grabbing my laptop. Now, don't you have stuff in the cloud? 
He's starting been, to. I've been yeah. starting to back it up, but it takes so long. I have like four terabytes that I need to upload. And it's <laughs> like, it's going to take me like eight months to do it. It's insane, but... All right, yeah. question two is, uh, if I was at Liberty to give you a million dollars a piece to give to one charity, which charity would you donate it to? Uh, <coughs> mine would have to be to uh, an animal rescue, for sure. Um, this is the one thing about... I mean, everyone's born. Uh, everyone's born in their own circumstances, but the one thing with the animals is they really cannot help the situation they're born into and I just love seeing uh, people going out and helping them and I know that money is often a huge factor in that because you have to take care of the animal in the back half so uh, and any sort of animal that needs help so it might definitely be some sort of animal okay. animal rescue um, I mean we did a bunch of shows for like some children's hospitals yeah for so make that would probably be nice yeah. do something like that okay question three is what would your walk up music be to the pearly gates <laughs> Mambo number five. <laughs> Mine would be that, uh, the name song, a little bit. Of- yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mine would definitely be "Bubbling" by Anderson <laughs> Pack. Yeah, that song right now. Every time I'm coming into the final stretch of a jog, I put that song in, and I immediately feel like I'm 100. percent It's my favorite. <laughs> on the flip side of that, what's stuck on repeat in hell? <laughs> Mambo number five. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you that. <laughs> I'll give you that. Um, what, I feel like there's often times where we're goofing off in studio playing something, and the response is, that's my definition of hell. Yeah. <laughs> I can't think. I can only think of the things we're playing when we're joking. The song that we playing in hell over and over and over and over again. I mean, a lot of songs we play fit when it's put in that context. It's all, yeah. it's all bad. Forever, if you had to listen to the same song over and over, it doesn't matter what it is. <laughs> I'm sure there's ones that are worse than others, but... Is there ever a song that you guys were working on that you're so into and then after, you know, hammering it out for, you know, thousands of hours, you're like, oh, if I ever play this again, I'm going to... Sometimes. It's, I mean, it's more like you're numb to it. It's not like you hate it. It's like I can no longer process what is good and bad about the song or what right. the song is. And you're completely in a technical mindset at that point. There's no feel. It's just like, I think the snare should come down. I think you the, just have no clue what you're doing. You just want it to be over and done. <laughs> and it's not necessarily you hate the song. It's just you, your sense of any direction is completely gone. Yeah, yeah. you got to know when to quit on a song. Sometimes I've, I've heard. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah you got to know when to let it go. All right, but, last last question is uh, maybe let it go from best. Frozen would be the one in hell. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have kids yet. <laughs> no, uh, I've got a daughter. That's it's going to be her wedding song. I'm sure. <laughs> um, Last question is uh, best live, best concert, which I think when you're privy to things like you guys, it could be like, did you see someone backstage warming up or did you, this was an actual show that anybody else had seen, but what's kind of the most religious experience you've, you've had seeing a band live or an artist live? Oddly enough, the first thing that comes to mind is I was in an acapella group in college and we were doing auditions and there's this girl, Gabby totally blanking on her last name right now who came in and sang Gravity by John Mayer and I started crying it was the only time that's ever happened to me I don't know what it was but she just had such this piercing you can find the cover online I'm sure if you just search Gabby and and, uh, uh, Gravity John Mayer it'll come up but she just covered this thing beautiful and she had such a screech in her voice that I I lost it it was crazy it's funny not funny funny but no, it was it was wild. I was it was wild. She got done. And I was just like, "What? What just happened?" That was Where is insane. she today? Um, I don't think she's in LA. I know she's in Boston. Last time I saw her, she's a little bit younger, so I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah. 
Beautiful voice, though. Um, Pete, no pressure. <laughs> I mean, I saw you two in 2001, and I always say that. That was kind of the moment where I was like, all right, I got to do this. <laughs> but also I saw Angels and Airwaves. I don't know if you know that. Yep, thing, but yep. I saw them in like 2008 or something, and they were like my favorite band at the time, like ever. And they had lasers shooting out above our heads and stuff. It was, it was, that That's was when his laser addiction just, started. <laughs> yeah. When will you guys be able to incorporate lasers into your show? We're trying to figure out how to do now. So we were going to bring them on one tour, and then we f- found out midway through that we had to be certified in order to bring By lasers. the FDA. Yeah. Or, uh, F- There's no DIY lasers? Like, no, you had... The FDA, the F... F- FCC. FCC, yeah. Is it the FCC or is it the, like the airplane <laughs> stuff, the Federal Aviation... No, I think it's FCC. FCC. Maybe it's the FAA. Because then it shoots out into the... It's probably the FAA. One of them. <laughs> they have to certify us. One of those buzzkills. Yeah, so we said the next thing that... I was talking to Pete last last night at the bar, and I was like, the, the next thing will be Pete Nappy. Producer, drummer, laser guy. That's <laughs> Laser guy. <laughs> that's the next move. I'll make sure that's how I introduce... <laughs> this is Pete, Pete Nappy, Nappy, laser guy. Laser guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, I'll let you uh, eat and drink and get ready for your show. Sounds good, brother. Thank you so Appreciate much. for doing this. Thank you. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. Many, many thanks to Ethan Thompson and Pete Nappy of Ocean Park Standoff. You can keep tabs on the band on their website, OceanParkStandoff.com, or their social channels are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And you can follow both Ethan and Pete on their personal Instagram and Twitter pages as well. As I said at the top of the show, this will be the last episode of 2018. The plan is to be back early 2019, so keep up with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for updates on our return. For Christmas, all we want is for you to go to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and leave us a glowing review. I'd like to take a minute to thank all my 2018 guests and their representatives for coming on the podcast and giving me their time. We have high hopes for 2019, and we hope you all stay with us throughout. Until then, I want to wish everyone a happy holiday and new year. Let's be kind to one another out there. We have more in common than what divides us, so let's get our shit together. All right, that's all the motivational speaking you're going to get from me. Episode 45 is nothing but a memory. Good night, Cleveland.